This is Jan Cox, talk number 2,572, recorded September 1st, 2000. What I wrote for you, September the 4th. The reason that no one's views or opinions, including your own, are of any use in getting to the bottom of things is that all views and opinions are preconceived. And if that weren't bad enough, they're not even preconceived by the people who hold them. Views and opinions arrive in your mind already preconceived and ready to rumble. How else did you imagine that, for instance, conversations managed to flow so effortlessly between two whole strangers who neither have the least notion what the other one is going to say? How else did you reckon that men are able to reasonably debate a matter about which they have no knowledge? And how else have you been accounting for the fact that the gigantic secondary reality of man operates so smoothly when the six billion responsible, therefore, have no idea what they're doing? All, quote, knowledge that men have of secondary matters is in truth not knowledge, but views and opinions. Thus all knowledge they have of things and affairs in their secondary reality is preconceived and by definition cannot be representative of the present factual circumstances. Ergo, all knowledge that men profess to possess regarding what goes on in that mentally funded secondary reality is meaningless. And the words that constitute such so-called knowledge represent nothing other than themselves and know about nothing other than themselves. Thus I say that if you look impersonally at what your own mind knows about that most important of secondary matters to wit, what you think you what you think about yourself and your ideas, then you're faced with the unavoidable fact that your knowledge of your own mind is not knowledge at all, but merely views and opinions which are totally preconceived and not even your own preconceptions at that. So the interstate should be about set for a major meltdown. Get to the bottom of what your mind calls its knowing, and you're well on the way to rock bottom. Many years ago, at least once, I have mentioned a matter, at least in part, that I'm going to mention again because, because I'm going to mention it again. It has to do with the word views. How I came to love and have a special, special affection for the word views. Many years ago, there was a man who was given to writing irate letters to public officials. He was quite literate and quite hostile, which was a winning combination <laughs> in some quarters. One day he was fuming, and he had written some great detailed, he showed me a copy, he kept carbon copies back then, <laughs> of all of his missiles, so as to pass around, I guess, and reminisce about them. And, of course, jack himself up when he happened to find himself calmed down between outbursts. But anyway, it was a detailed attack 
It was, I think it was to the mayor of the little town where he lived. He was a, yeah, it was the mayor of the head of the, it was a county commission. It was like the head man of his locale. And some guy who had been in office had been mayor there for like 40 years. And it was a detailed rant about all sorts of things that you know, break down the public services. And it went into detail and it kept dragging up. I've written you about this on June the 14th, 1952. I wrote you again in September the 17th, 1949. And it just went on and on. So I read it through. And he says, look at this. And he waved a response from the mayor on the official stationery. And it said, dear Mr. Jones, just one sentence. It said, thank you for your views. Yours sincerely, Mayor so-and-so. And he was, he had a fit. Well, of course, you're already chuckling. But to me, it's even better. Maybe I should let go. I didn't know that you would agree because then I fell on the floor. I had to hide it or else a guy would have gotten mad and wanted to, you know, fight me. But I was absolutely delighted by the one word, thank you for your view. <laughs> Turns out, the mayor, having been in office all these years, the mayor said that years ago, when he first got in office, after the first couple of years, he found out that there was going to be a certain number of those kind of complaints made. And he found out that in that city or county, he said after another couple of terms in office, another eight or ten years, he found out that there was a group of people who were going to continue to do this. So he said he had talked to other mayors at some kind of, you know, mayor's convention and found out that most mayors, that there was uh, like form letters, that they passed them around. If you were had any experience as a mayor, you had two or three of these form letters. So this mayor said that he started out that he had a version that he took from somebody that was several paragraphs. And still he could have his secretary just plug in the name and not really say much of anything, but it would say, they had two or three versions, like they're complaining about the sewer systems. It was something about, you're not the only person. I appreciate the public's concern about our sewer system. And, of course, since I've taken office, I inherited many problems. And we're looking into, and it listed four or five of just the major ones. And so that he didn't have to actually have his secretary or him respond specifically to the letter. Anyway, he said that it started out that it was like three paragraphs. Look up a whole page. And right then it said, but, and I thank you, citizen, or I thank you, Mr. Smith, for, uh, for your views on the matter. So he said after he'd been in office like 15 years, he decided to revise it. He ran out of copies of it and was going back to the printer. And he said he cut it down from three, co three paragraphs. He looked through it and with more and more experience and recognizing the same people with the same kind of complaints and the same attitude kept writing him that he decided he could junk half of it. And so he got down to two paragraphs. Then he said after another 10 years and a couple of terms, it got down to one. Then he looked at the one paragraph. And then he said that he tried the one thing about thank you for your views. And he said that he heard through the grapevine, as he put it, that several people, including the man that I knew, he said he heard that they almost had, as I think he called it, epilepsy. <laughs> when they heard him, when they got the letter, he says, and that sealed it. He said, since then, I use it no matter what, what anybody writes. If it's a complaint at all, no matter how detailed or how simplistic, they get the one sentence, dear so-and-so. In fact, he's, 
He said what he wanted to do. Of course, to tell you the truth, I think I suggested this. <laughs> I did. Now that I remember. <laughs> Might as well tell the truth. I was still so delighted. As I said, even more delighted than having seen that one man's reaction. I made a suggestion to the mayor, and he, it only took a second, and he looked at me like, I understand, but that's too much. In other words, he declined. And I said, all right, here's what do. Even drop the pretense. Don't have your secretary take the form letter and write, Dear Mr. Jones, don't have her type that in. Just have an absolute printed form letter and go to a bad printer. So that's obviously, and it just say, Dear fellow citizen, <laughs> thank you for your views. You're mayor. And he thought about it a second and grinned and then looked at me and like, you know, no, did kill me. <laughs> I've taken it far enough. All right, now back to it. I have had, having never forgotten that, for some reason, years and years ago, and I would, those of you that have seen some older writings or I'd heard me talk years ago, I spent a good deal on the idea of knowledge as opposed to opinion and beliefs. I wrote whole long papers somewhere and spent some time defining, not just in a verbal, not just in a literate sense, but about what knowledge should be and how what people call beliefs, or what people ordinarily call knowledge, should not be called knowledge, but should be called beliefs or opinions. And I can still recall many years ago that I went into great detail over some period of time trying to get those to whom I was talking and could have been reading what I was writing to consider what I was trying to point to. To me, it is now, it just came up today, some of the things I've been talking about to you. The mind never questions, if you check. Your mind never thinks of what it does in any terms resembling opinions or views. The closest it would come, if your mind wants to argue with this, I know exactly the basis upon which it would be wanting to argue with me. That it would say, no, nah, at times I realize that I'm only dealing in views. No, it doesn't. I suggest, you know when it happens? And the, the kind of example your mind, your thoughts would come up with? It's when you are momentarily unable to respond to something. Before your mind, before your thoughts can pull their wits together and respond, if not overtly, at least to themselves, that you think that somebody says something and you, your automatic reaction is to resist it, to counter it. And let us say, as you know, it happens that apparently your mind cannot come up with anything. Or maybe it was some comment they made, some observation they made about a subject about which you have no great knowledge. Maybe they're going on and on about, well, the president said he is not going to sign such and such bill today, and do you realize what that's going to do and how our life will be wrecked? And let us say that for some reason, you don't even know why, that you find favor with the, the current president. So that is, you automatically want to take up for him. And so you're just waiting. You're just prepared to say something like, well, I, I, that's not true. That's, that's just not true. You got your facts wrong. And your mind is about ready to get your tongue going, except you realize 
you're not even sure. Maybe the person even said, do you realize he refused today? He, he vetoed after both houses passed uh, House Bill 617. Do you realize he vetoed it and what that's going to do to us? And so your mind's about ready to go, nah, come on, you got it all wrong. Just for the sake of that you want to defend the man. And your mind suddenly realize, I don't have the least idea what House Bill 617 is. It is when your mind is not, is not able through what it calls its knowledge. It does not have enough knowledge at hand immediately for whatever the subject is that it's about to respond to or wants to, to respond. And that's when your mind is liable to look back and go, no, at times I'm aware that I only have a view or an opinion of a situation and I can clearly distinguish that from knowledge. <laughs> you should be able to take a quick survey of your life Okay, that was long enough. And realize, that's not true. Put it to you more bluntly if I ran that around the block too many times. Or too far around the block. Now I'm speaking about, remember, secondary matters. We're not speaking about anything having to do with survival enhancement. We're not speaking about actual tangible affairs in life that have any bearing on survival. We're talking about that world that grows out of the mind. <coughs> and I am speaking specifically about to, if you <coughs> as you should know already, I'm about to talk about the mind itself and what it does. The mind does not think about, and I don't care who you are, your mind does not think about itself on the basis that what it's thinking about is its momentary opinion or that it's its current view. Or I am exploring this one belief. I have been weighing the possibility that such and such is true about some of what I think or this particular idea that I had, particularly about myself. It shouldn't take you but a split second to realize that does not happen. You might consider why the mind of man or why life made the mind of man even come up with the idea of views and opinions and beliefs and distinguish those from, quote, knowledge. Why did life even have man's mind do that? Why are they even in the dictionary? Because I say, and open it, of course, for you to look at yourself, I say that your mind, no person's mind, ever thinks of itself as dealing in anything less than knowledge. Now, it can, if it gets caught flat-footed, it may to itself, in so many words, or as I'm saying it, may try to argue with you now, at times I've known I did not have sufficient knowledge to go forward with my thinking or to go forward as I wanted to and pursue this matter and think about it. Yes, but that is not the same as the mind saying, well, at times uh, I just have absolute, at times I have no knowledge of what I'm doing, and so I'll replace the knowledge because it's something that struck my fancy for the moment. So I replace knowledge of it by an opinion. Search your mind. It shouldn't take what? It's smaller than your underwear drawer. You <laughs> rifle through it and it shouldn't take but a second. And you realize you do not ever think about your thoughts on the matter of like, you know, that's an interesting thought I keep having, but you know the truth is I shouldn't call that a thought or I call it my idea my, about something. And But you know, I shouldn't do that because I don't really know that to be true. I don't know it to be correct. I don't know it. It's my opinion. Somewhere I came up with this view of the matter. 
But it's really nothing. It's just an opinion. Then go look up an opinion. Opinion's not knowledge or a view in the connotative sense. One of the definitions, a view is not knowledge. It's really synonymous the way I'm using it for opinion, not just one, two words. Your mind does not do that. Your mind does, does not, has no self-awareness, has no conversation with itself that, well, that particular thing we've been thinking about or stating our view is not based upon any knowledge. It is strictly our view. In other words, it, it has no factual basis. The way I started what I wrote for you was pointing out that all views and opinions not only are not knowledge, but they're all preconceived. Even if views and opinions could be seen as having any value, because I could make the argument standing here. In fact, I could sit down and make the argument if you don't know the truth. But standing here, I could make the argument that views and opinions are useful on the basis that they are immature Pieces of knowledge. They're incomplete knowledge. That they could be the beginning. That you're on the right track. At least you're interested enough in a matter that you now have an opinion. And if you continue to be interested and you're an intelligent person, which you obviously are, then eventually you'll realize that I need more facts. I'm just dealing with my opinion. And that you'll flesh it out, firm it up, and finally have real knowledge of the matter. Huh. Even if that were true, here's the problem. They're all preconceptions. That's a decision about a matter made in advance. Now, see, that's bad enough. If I was making some kind of, I don't know what it would be, some kind of cockamamie lecture like this to class in philosophy or somebody, I could have made that a punchline of sorts. And I'm sure I've gotten some people in the, in fact, a couple of you, in a, just reflexively. I still think there's no such word. <clears throat> to point out that all opinions and all views are preconceived. Which right there, it shows their lack of any objective value. That it's decisions made about something beforehand. So it can't be knowledge, because knowledge, you must get to the matter and examine it, blah, blah, blah. So I could have made that sound as though it's a punchline. But as you notice in what I wrote, it was followed by a quick sub-paragraph that said, and if that wasn't bad enough, they're not preconceived by you. Let me try it another way. Somebody should be able to get close to a meltdown. <sighs> At least to get lost in all this. I'm saying that anything less than full factual knowledge of something is an opinion. And then I point out that an opinion, all opinions are preconceived. But now ask yourself, I assume you can see that, can't you? Because if it was knowledge, it would not be preconceived. Knowledge would be based upon an objective realization and experience of whatever the matter is. 
A preconception is you've already decided. So it's not knowledge. We've got to call it something, so an opinion, a view, a belief. Because it is a prejudgment has been made. Are you ready? How can you do that? Uh-oh. How can you preconceive something? A preconception is conception. It is a conception. An opinion is knowledge. How can you decide about something before you've decided about it? Well, we can play dirty. What are you going to think next? How will you decide what to think next? How can anybody, I know how, but I've got to ask you, how can, any, how can anybody sit, even in your most reflective moment, even with your best coffee and cigarettes and pondering mood, in your pondering mood, and sit and listen to what goes on in your head and in any manner take it seriously? As I said, it's rhetorical because I know exactly how. You don't have to do anything. All you got to do is nothing. And you take it seriously. How can people live out their lives, even people who believe they're interested in such as this, even people who are firmly convinced that there is some super, duper fragilistic way of looking at life, some understanding of what life's about, that is absolutely extraordinary and beyond ordinary people's comprehension. How can people believe that? And simultaneously entertain what goes on in their head seriously. How can they fail to get any notion of how ridiculous it is, how meaningless it is? And how can you sit there and hear me say that and take it seriously? How can people not realize that what goes on in the mind and 99 plus percent of what people say has no meaning, has no significance whatsoever? I ask you that. And as I expected, many of you looked thoughtful, a couple of you nodded. And then I said, how can you take that seriously? What I just said. I mean, what could be more meaningful than that? Which that? Somebody emailed me, claimed that they had met me once, and how much they were enjoying the feature, the new writing, and then, and even made a comment about how much they got out of the uh, one day when I really took off when people had no problems, how people like to bitch and whine. He, he said how much it meant to him. As a matter of fact, and then he began, he went for two or three paragraphs, telling me, <laughs> whining about his life, that had brought it up. Well, of course, that kind of irony, I, I guess I'm getting jaded. It's not really very entertaining. But I kept running down the page to see where it got to. And I didn't really get to much of anything, but it, he took so long, and so I did respond. And it was just basically what I had written that same day. It was just basically like, well, you know, there are two ways to suffer. 
root canal is suffering, worrying about root canal is another kind of suffering. And I said one is worse than the other, and most people don't recognize which is the worst. And, then I put and, most people don't even recognize that there is a difference. You know? Best regards, not send it off. A few hours later, comes back from him. And he says, well, he says, yeah, I heard what you, I understand what you're pointing to. And the gist that was this, he said, but I guess in my previous note, I didn't go into enough detail. So he goes into greater detail of, <laughs> about you know, how his life is falling apart. I mean, it just goes on and on. So I looked down, there was nothing, so it, you know, I couldn't resist. Because it's still, the guy, anyway, still, I was, normally that would have been the end of it. But I felt, I wanted to respond again. Because he had flashes of some understanding, so I waited a day or so, and I sent this back. And I said, after a lengthy and dedicated review of your previous two emails, and after giving a thoughtful study, I've got to admit, you've convinced me. Your life obviously sucks. <laughs> I, I guess I just didn't see it. Yeah, I got carried away with you. Well, I didn't send it. I typed it out. So I was going to present it to you. Should I have sent it? Would it have accomplished anything? I still may send it. Maybe give it another week or so and him think I just forgot all about him. I figured several days would be sufficient. But uh, as you know, surely, I had no intention of being a smart ass or a topping him or being sarcastic. Uh, but there is truly, with some people, there would have been some possibility that that could have shook him a little. And so I'm just asking you sort of in a general rhetorical way, based upon your knowledge of people and their minds in general, what would have been the chance? What would have been the odds that he would have gotten anything out of it? The reason I brought it up is to point out to you the damn near impossibility, in case you've never looked at it this way, is damn near impossible not to listen to your mind. And I don't mean just the fact, forget whether you can shut it off or not. I don't mean that, for the moment, let's assume that you can't shut it off. That that's not a possibility. I say that's almost impossible, or I ask you, after all this time, or maybe I should encourage you, at least you think that you have missed some great trick. I'm just saying that it's almost impossible not to listen to it. Now remember, I'm distinguishing between cutting it off and listening to it. Let's assume it's there. But as everyone knows, it's known as auditorial, auditory adaptation. It's either known as that or I, it is now. As I point out, you know, a guy can work in a damn steel mill. There are people who run jackhammers. They become, very soon, you become accustomed to the noise. You don't notice it. Of course, six billion people, minus a few on this planet, do not notice the noise in their head that I stand here and rant about. They don't notice it. So let's assume 
what I'm trying to get you to consider, let's assume that it can't be cut off as much as truckloads historically of mystics believe that it can, and some have said that they succeeded. Let's assume that it cannot be simply cut off. There is a difference in not being able to cut it off and listening to it, or as I like to, to me, it, it's entertain it, which means listen to it seriously. But I say entertain it because I kick around the word seriously so much. But it's to listen to it and to in any way take it seriously. I ask you, I'm presenting it to you as a rhetorical statement, but I ask you, ask yourself, how far off am I? It's almost impossible not to listen to it. And if you listen to it, you'll take it seriously. Well, let me, let me present that as another rhetorical question or statement. I say it's almost impossible not to listen to it. That's statement number one. Here's statement number two. It's almost impossible not to listen to it and take it seriously. I guess I can present it as one of my tricks or tasks. I've never presented it in exactly this way. Try. Just try for a period of time. Like tomorrow between 4 and 5 o'clock or pick out a time that you know will be convenient that you'll be alone or nothing to do. And for an hour, just get off somewhere by yourself. Go some of the back steps or whatever. And don't try to muck about with your mind and what's going on, but just try and be aware of it and try not to take it seriously. You know what I'm saying? Uh, well, you know, I don't assume that anybody that, that any of you sit around or walk around throughout the day thinking, well, I'm sure I'm taking what I'm thinking seriously. Or I'm, I didn't take that thought as seriously as I take most. You don't think about whether you're taking what goes on in your mind seriously or not. Which right there, of course, is a dead giveaway. I don't know why that doesn't wake you up. But at any rate, you never not take it seriously. Again, don't let it fool you. Your mind can say, ah, that's not true because sometimes I don't like what I'm thinking. I'm repeating something somebody else has heard and I laugh at what they said because I don't take what they said seriously. Get a grip. I didn't what I said. And your mind will go, well, I thought that's what you said. And see, you'll take that seriously. Like, well, I did. I thought that's what you said. Well, there's two possibilities. You didn't think that, and you're lying, deceiving yourself, or you did think that, and if you did, then you're an idiot. So, finally, we're down to good choices. <laughs> I'm either a moron or I'm engaged in self-deception. Well, finally, we have narrowed down the possibilities. Okay, everybody that would, everybody's in favor of self-deception, move over to the left side of the room and. Those will settle for just being moronic. I guess stay where you are. I don't just stand up and move around and maybe hurt yourself. <laughs> I know I'm not going to. You know what's better than all of this? I don't know whether to go into it, but why not? Because I can always just stop. Rather than the idea, rather than the model that I was going to talk about, and whether you think I did or not, that what goes on in the mind 
almost entirely, just what little dozen is not worth talking about, is nothing but preconceived opinions, views, beliefs. But the thing is, it's all preconceptions, no matter what you call it, they're all preconceptions. They're all prior judgments. They're all judgments, decisions made before the, quote, facts. They're there. You don't know where the hell they came from. They're preconceived, and they were shipped to you. You got them preconceived. Even if you get a notion, if you're, surely you can, if you get a notion of what I'm saying, maybe even think of one idea that you've had, one thing that maybe you thought you believed, and it'll strike you, yeah, that does fit. I've always took it. I used to take it as a piece of firm knowledge, the way I looked at a certain thing or what I said about it. But now or later it struck me that it does fit what your definition of preconception because it was personal. I had a, it's what I wanted to be true. And so you could say, well, that was a preconception, but uh, I finally saw through it. I got over it. Yeah, but you missed the whole point. So you're taking credit for it. You could say, well, I matured. I gained more information on the subject, and then it went from being this biased preconception into a more mature, more comprehensive understanding of it. Okay, 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 except for this. See, what that sounds like is that you started out and, uh, with one piece of the knowledge. It's like you were walking along and the subject came up of whatever it was, some, some subject, some political subject, some subject having to do with morality, it doesn't matter what. Something in the secondary world, you, you're making it sound, your mind makes it sound as though I had no knowledge of this matter. I had never heard of uh, such and such religious belief. Never heard, never heard about it. And then one day, I just happened to read something, or somebody said, do you ever heard of such and such philosophy or such and such uh, religion or whatever it was? And then I said, no. And they began to tell me about it. And it inter I thought, well, that's interesting. But I couldn't really get a full grasp of what they were talking about. It didn't all make sense. Part of what they told me, I disagreed with immediately. And yet part of it was curiously familiar sounding. So I thought about it and I read some more about it. And at first I was inclined to just dismiss it. But there was something about it kept nagging me. Your mind is making it sound as though you're walking along one day. And like you found, now how about this? You're walking along and you found a wheel off of a car. Except you didn't know what it was. You'd never even seen a car. And that you picked it up and like put it under your arm and carried it around for years. And every time that the conversation would, you know, come around to that tire under your arm, which it would probably be inclined to happen frequently, that you'd be at a party and somebody go, what is that? And let's say for years you had this God knows what. You had an answer. Let's say you said, well, uh, this is the eye of God. He dropped it and I'm saving it for him. And people said, really? And you went, yes. That was not knowledge. That was not a fact. That was your opinion. And so what your mind makes all this sound like, though, is that you kept on. And throughout life, then finally one day, you ran across an axle. And then another tire. And then a differential. And then a frame. And pretty soon, or eventually, you had all these parts and went together as a car. And you went, ah! So you understand. That's what your mind tells you 
that, well, at one time I had an immature understanding, an incomplete understanding of something, and so it was a preconception. But then I moved on. I added to my storehouse of knowledge so that my comprehension of the matter went from a mere preconception to full-blown knowledge. Except for this, shithead. Figure of speech. Except for this, my friends. <laughs> that is not the way it occurs. And no one seems to realize it. And I know why. Because it would put everybody's brain into gridlock. If they could do it. Preconceptions. That is, to take this view, if you followed the reason I brought that up. To take a preconception as being an incomplete understanding of something. That you only have partial knowledge. You do not have access to the complete facts. That is demonstratively, if there's anything to you, that you look at what goes on in you, and that is demonstratively not true. These preconceptions come to you full-blown. You don't start with a piece of knowledge, and then it becomes some, some knowledge or something that you picked up, that you went out and found, and it, it went from originally... Since it was incomplete, it was a preconception. Every time you thought about the matter, then whatever it was you thought was a preconception because you didn't have full information. So your judgment was always before the fact and always incomplete. That sounds fine, except it's bullshit. Preconceptions are shipped to you. They're fully formed. They're ready to go right out of the box. The first time you had that thought, let me put it this way. I've tried this before. I'm... It never seems to work on people. It's been many years since I tried this. But you look like a gullible... You look like a good audience. Because I know I'll be gravely disappointed because this is one of the ones, again, that I always expect somebody will suddenly realize what's going on. But hey, disappointment's my middle name. So here it is. Answer me this. Answer yourself this. Have you ever been thinking that your mind, the thought was going through you, and suddenly in mid-thought, it just fell apart. The thing stopped, and it was like a tractor trailer going by your window, and the tractor went by, and then just the beginning of the trailer, and about halfway through, it just disappeared. Well, you know, which can't happen. Something's wrong. When have you ever had a thought, I'll try it again. When have you ever had a thought going through your mind and midway, I'm just going to make this explanation simple the way people normally think and talk. In midway, your mind went, wait a minute, the rest of it's not coming. What is this? Wait a minute, I was going fine. That first part of the thought about that matter we've been thinking about. I was really on to something. You heard me, didn't you? I was going, well, now I realize that, you know, the next time this happens, or whenever people do so-and-so, it's obvious that they're... Uh, I think your response answered my question. Well, you're better than I ever got before. Because years ago, I remember I tried it once, and maybe once and a half, and got the oil painting response. 
Nobody. It never happens. And nobody finds that curious. Of course, nobody finds it curious or even interesting if I say, tell me what you're going to say next. It's the Last Supper time. Mona Lisa time. <laughs> Nipper. The RCA logo dog. <laughs> looking into the... The bell of the wind-up phonograph. What? How strange. I hear something, but my God, what is it? What are you going to say next? What an interesting idea. And they cocked their head like, what the hell does that mean? I heard the sound. It caught my attention. I perked up my ears. but Well, it's close. It's the same thing I'm talking about. But no one notices See, it's preconceptions or your own that you could take the credit and the blame for them. If it was something that you started out and that in some way you developed an interest in something and at one time you had blank interest, you had no knowledge of it, and you found it like the tire of a car, never seen anything to do with a car, never thought about it, never heard of it, and there it was, you found it. Of course, we're speaking about things non-physically. That you heard about this idea. You'd never heard of God and then you ran across somebody, some religious person. First time in your life, and they began to describe God, tell you what it was. <coughs> then it was like, all right, now I've got it. Part of what they said didn't sound right. Maybe they weren't of the same culture as you. Maybe they didn't speak the same language. Maybe their hormonal system was in conflict with yours. But for the first time you heard the idea of God, let's say they were Jewish, and they talked to you about Jehovah, and you went, I like that idea, or it attracts me. But you thought, boy, a lot of that doesn't sound right. And then you met a Muslim as well. This idea about Jehovah, we're talking about God, the supreme being, but he's Allah. And so they give you some more information. And so you listen to them describe Allah and you go, you know, some of that's interesting. Some of that's still. But now I have a wider concept. Then maybe you meet a Buddhist and they describe the sensation of Buddha mind, the idea. Anyway, it's as though at one time you knew nothing about God and you continued to pick up information and so you went from having a half-baked opinion, an incomplete knowledge, but finally after great study, of course I guess that's why they have schools of theology. <laughs> well, either that or it's somewhere that people who flunk out of the school of philosophy can go, I guess. I never understood it, but hey, who am I? At any rate, it's as though then your mind thinks, well, I continued to build it up until I came up with a good, solid understanding of what God is. No longer just preconceived notions. No longer views and opinions. Now I know. No one seems to notice that your mind does not start blank. You at one time, anything that you have a view or an opinion on now, you have always had a view or an opinion on it. It can't be proven, it can't be disproven. You've got to be damn near awake to realize, yeah, it's true. Or at least you've got to be damn near awake to realize it's true and hold that realization for more than a second, a split second, so that it becomes meaningful, so that it will begin to pry you away from the mind, pry your mind away from the idea that you are the mind, or vice versa. What I started to get into, but I won't tonight, thank God. I was going to say, if I'd talked enough, which I did, 
about views and opinions being preconceptions, and they're not even your preconceptions. <clears throat> See, I was going to lead that into the big finish, the final 30 minutes, to say, well, now that you've taken that in, I see it had some meaningful impact on you. How about this? Here's the real point. I say our lives are preconceptions. Not our views, not simply our views and our opinions. The lives we lead are preconceptions. But notice, I am not speaking about predestination. No, don't pull that shit on me. That's not what I said. I didn't say our lives are predetermined. I said they are preconceived. The lives we lead are preconceptions, not predeterminations. <laughs> then you would have been all excited and went, tell, tell us more, tell us more. <laughs> but see, now I'm out of time. You waited too late. But hey, you can go do it yourself, can't you? Driving home, thinking... Of course, if it was my kind of person, I would assume that driving home you'd already gotten a mystic's migraine trying to realize everything I think is a preconception, and yet I never thought to think it. So if it is a preconception, it's not even my preconception because I would have had to think about beforehand the plan to have a preconception. I see that, that should be enough for any. Decent, at least on a Friday night. Decent mystic. See, now you can drive home and think, my life is a preconception. Remember, we're talking about preconceiving, not predestination. There's the key difference. Because if, you, if your mind wants to go with the notion of predest predestination, then it can immediately reject it or affirm it. And it doesn't matter. It's just another preconception. Your view can be, well, I cannot, I can't see that predestination could be possible. Or your opinion could be, ah, I believe it. They're both meaningless. They have no use in getting to the bottom of things. But if you get away from predestination, which I could submit to you, was life's way somewhere, a fooling man. That somewhere back around whoever it was, I was going to blame it on, who's the European, John Knox? Some reformer, but hell, the Greeks and the Indians were doing it 4,000 years before him. But anyway, the idea of predestination, I was going to say, was one of life's many sleights of hand that had man come up, had some man come up with the idea, hey, we could be predestined to live the lives we lead. The religious view being you're either predestined to go to heaven or go to the inferno. But life, I could submit, did that as a camouflage, as a sleight of hand, a piece of misdirection to keep men from thinking, from pondering the fact my life is preconceived. Because that might have done something. But if the idea becomes my life is predestined, then you're off the hook. Because you either agree or disagree. Your view of it, your opinion of it is either pro or con. But to say my life is preconceived, if you actually follow what I'm saying, you can agree or disagree. And if you do, you're a moron. You weren't listening. You can't agree or disagree over my statement 
over the possibility that the life you lead is a preconception. That the lives everyone lead, leads are preconceptions. The views and opinions they have are preconceptions, and the lives they lead are preconceptions. You can't say yes or no. Not if there's anything worthwhile going on in your neurons, and if you've been listening to me, you can't do it. It's not possible. I was going to say, and that, that, of course, the very kind of things that life obviously doesn't want us to think about. But I won't say that, because it's obvious. Plus, I don't know if it's true or not. That's just my view. No, it's not. Because that wasn't preconceived. I found that on my own. It was just laying there. I didn't know what it was at first. But it had this real neat flipper hubcap on it. And I carried it and I finally started talking to a man. It says, the lives men lead are actually preconceptions. And plus it wasn't a bridge stone. So <laughs> I felt fairly safe with it. That concludes this talk. Be sure to visit us at jancox.com where you can search through 3,000 talks for topics of interest or just leave us a message.